everybody, and welcome to Your On Mute. This is Pastor Elise with Pastor Mary. Hi, everybody. Mom, how's it going? <laughs> well, it's going pretty well. Looks like I'm going to be wrapping up my interim where I am in, uh, I would say, two months at the longest. Nice. So now I feel like I, I always do at this point in doing interim ministry where you kind of feel like the feel like you've been a foster parent and yeah. you knew that you were always going to be a foster parent and that you weren't going to get to keep the kids. But then somehow when, when you realize that the process has gotten to the point where they've actually selected somebody, you're like, you feel like you've been notified that the adoptive parents are coming to take the kids, you know? Yeah. And it just feels, <laughs> <laughs> it feels really strange. So yeah. it's a little, but I don't want to say that too much because I don't want them to focus on me or right. how they feel about me leaving because they're telling me that enough already. So yeah, yeah. And it's just kind of an interesting part of ministry. Oh, I know, especially interim ministry. There's kind of those constant little hellos and goodbyes, which are the toughest part, I think, of ministry. I mean, the ministry in between is tough, too, but you know, no, learning a new congregation and then also having to say goodbye to a congregation that for right. fun, you still see a lot of potential in and you had ideas for, but then also one that you care quite a lot about. Um, that's got to be tricky. Yeah, it is tricky. And uh, other interims and I have said to each other that it seems as hard to leave a congregation like this that you've been in for a year, or maybe a little bit more as it does a congregation where you've been for 14 or 15 years. Yeah, and I think it's just because there's sort of um, intense nature to to being an interim, but yeah, I feel like I've been able to spread some goodness. Oh gosh, um, yeah, I mean, it's around kind of like internship, you know, like you know, you're on a year long clock, so like you're building relationships really intensely and really intentionally, and like you're diving mm -hmm. into all these different projects and all these different things because it's like I only have a year to do this, I only have a year to do this. And everyone is, you know, it feels like people at the congregation are more intentional about like involving you in things and involving you in their lives. Cause it's like, you know, you're basically cramming 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. Right. So it's, right. Like, you know, um, so yeah. And then when, I mean, I remember when I left my internship congregation in Bend, I was like weeping as if, you know, I had been their pastor for 20 years or something. <laughs> I know it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. It's pretty, wild. I think it depends on, um, you know, that may affect people who build relationships and congregations more quickly than others. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that I, I kind of do that much to my own surprise. Yeah. Uh, I just spent so much of my early years thinking I was just kind of a, an egghead. And, <laughs> and now, and now I realize like how dumb I am. I mean, you know, it's like, <laughs> But oh I'm goodness. very, uh, I, I feel now I am pretty experienced, smart. Yeah, and, you know, I would say so. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I just realized how I have just um, really been in the trenches pretty much my entire ministry, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, yeah. From, from everything to, uh, you know, just being in one parish after the other. Um, sure, I've done a, a you know, very brief time at the ELCA, very brief time at Southern Seminary, but mm -hmm. mostly, mostly just this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not being in any, you know, big old congregation anywhere and, you know, slugging it out at the homeless center and mm -hmm. <laughs> all this yeah. stuff. But, you know, that's okay. 
It was interesting. Yeah. I, w I went to a funeral yesterday of a woman who was a sister of a, a member here. Mm -hmm. And um, the church where they had the service was absolutely packed. Mm. I mean, by the time I got there, there were no seats left. And it wasn't a tiny church by any means. Yeah, yeah. But she had worked for a long time, um, I think, in administrative work with um, with a county sheriff. So that there was that. And she I think she was only 62. She died of cancer. Mm. And um, the preacher said, um, who was actually her nephew, um, he said that he knows that, you know, Aunt Betty really wanted to beat cancer, you know, mm -hmm. like it was just huge battle and she was going to do everything she could to be victorious, but that really she did, she did beat cancer with a life well lived. Oh, wow. Yeah. I That's thought that awesome. was really, that was really great. That is a great way to look at it. I wow. know. That's incredible. I know it really is. Way to go, nephew. I know he's a pretty good preacher too. And, mm -hmm. um, so I'm I had some... a lot coming from Mary. Anderson. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. I, know. <laughs> um, I can be critical. Well, Matt. well, <laughs> <laughs> we won't get too much into daughter mother dynamics on that one. <laughs> oh man. I never know what you guys mean when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and funny. and I don't want to ask. <laughs> you don't so well, I don't want to know. Funny, I was Colleen, my sister, and I were talking about um, mm -hmm. our, our partners a little bit and how sometimes they they both need like some attaboys, right? And we all do, you know. Right, we all do. Um, but that that was one of those things that can be tough for she and I to remember to do. Because um, you didn't see me do it. Because we never got, I mean, I certainly wasn't watching you, you know, pat dad on the back every time he did something. And, you know, I've explained to my fiance, Adam, you know, this is something I'm going to have to work on because when I was a I kid, have no role models. I have no role model. Because when I was a kid, we didn't get, and like for better or worse, for better and worse in some ways, but like we were not a participation trophy kind of family, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you guys weren't like demanding excellence by any means, but you also weren't congratulate congratulatory when we were average, you know? And so right. like, if like, the, there's no need for that. <laughs> right. So if we did the dishes, we didn't get like a gold star because we were expected to do the dishes or asked to do the dishes. And so, you know, but I mean, we were, you guys were, you know, very excited when we did do great stuff. Right. But it wasn't like we were getting, um, you know, lollipops every time we, we did a chore. And so, right. uh, and I said that to dad the other day and he goes, and we have paid for it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, like it's, it is one of those things where it's just like, but then at the same time, when we did get praise, like we knew it was legit. Like we knew we had done. Right. It wasn't really just good. all the time. Like that's just what they say. Right. Exactly. No. So like I said, for better or worse, but. Uh, well, and you got, I think you guys have also, you know, flourished from that. You both are just like really great human beings and, um, mm -hmm. you know, helping other people and really doing great stuff in the community and all of that. So. If I had to be a little judgmental along the way to help that help the world <laughs> like that, so be it. 
Oh man, that's right. We are who we are completely because of, uh, <laughs> yeah, you be you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I had, I had something that I wanted us to have a conversation about today. Yeah. Speaking of generational differences, what's our topic oh. for today? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were making fun of something I said. Okay. No. Never quite sure. Well, and that is, you know, since I said, you know, I've, I've spent my pretty much entire ministry um, in the trenches, and I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, just congregations that were urban, rural, now small town, um, you know, with kind of average worship attendance around 100, mm -hmm. and um you know, being a part over these decades of a church that um, just like really most churches in America are on the decline because our the religiosity of our American culture is on decline. But yeah. I, that doesn't depress me, as I think I've said before. Mm -hmm. I don't like to talk about the decline of the church. I like to talk about how it's transforming, changing, whatever, which to me says, um look for look for ways in which you can participate in this transformation and this reformation time instead of just you know sitting over a cappuccino and crying into it about how nothing's like it was when you were a kid right but given all that you know the one um the one question that people ask in congregations that are average as most of them are is how can we how can we get younger people into church because that that's the group they they are missing the millennials and the gen z folks and therefore all of their children down below and and the other generations there and they just don't know what to do yeah and as if you know there was something they needed to do mm -hmm. or if they are parents or grandparents of young adults who were raised in church but don't come anymore, they feel really guilty about that. Like somehow they did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how can they make up for it? What can they do? They're afraid to talk to their children about it. Mm -hmm. um, maybe for fear of being told, well, you were very judgmental or you've... you've <laughs> You, you know, you forced us to go every single Sunday when we really didn't even want to. So, yeah, now that I'm an adult, I'm not going to go anymore. So right. there. Yeah. And um, so they do a lot of tiptoeing around their yeah. own kids, but their own kids are, you know, one possibility. But there's also all these other people out there that are that are unchurched or right. just don't yeah. aren't participating. So. I feel like I've said for a long time to people, number one, for those who feel so guilty, I say, this is not your fault, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. This is a huge trend. And I just don't think you have enough power to have made all that happen right. yourself, yeah. right? So yeah. it's all right. Mm -hmm. You know, well, this is something we've got to figure out together. And I also realized that I've kind of said for a long time, you know, there's no magic bullet mm -hmm. to getting um youth participation in the church mm -hmm. but uh i've changed my mind on that i think there are some magic bullets but 
And that's what I wanted us to talk about today, because I think you have some ideas about what some might be. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, it's all 100% true. Right. Um, but not only have I been around it for a long time, but I've seen when it works mm-hmm. and feel like I've seen why it can work. Yeah. But the magic bullet that so many baby boomers my age think that it is mm-hmm. has to do with worship and music. Yeah. Worship and music, which we can talk about, worship and music, and the other is programming mm-hmm. and staffing. They feel like, you know, even though we only have two teenagers here, if we hire a youth minister, it's just going to make everything different. Right. Maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to say know. that hasn't happened, you know, maybe in 50 different congregations somewhere. Right. <laughs> but in general, the, we're sort of asking the wrong questions, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, um, you know, so the the uh, the baby boomer slash hippie who, you know, still loves playing guitar and wants to, you know, create a service in which, you know, that's the kind of stuff that they're singing and doing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think is just barking up the wrong tree because we mm-hmm. haven't seen that. So I I want to yeah. de- try to um, challenge, not debunk, because I don't have that much power, but I want to sort of challenge the idea that um, uh, if we did totally different kinds of worship and music, that all these young people would start flocking. Um, There are reasons that I think folks can think that, and that is what they see in the mega churches, which I wanted to talk about a little bit. Yeah. And the other is a whole sort of building programs. Like if we have, you know, many, many groups and activities going on for young people, somehow that in itself, yes, that helps, but all by itself, it's just a house of cards. Oh yeah. So, big time. I mean, what's your, what's your reaction to that? Well, I mean, you know, when I think it's, I think it's, I think it is kind of funny. I think everyone will kind of has that um, rebellious stage where they go against kind of what they were made to do as kids. I mean, I know, um, even, even when I was in high school, I remember kind of you and dad saying like, you don't have to necessarily believe what we believe, but we want you to have a spiritual life of some kind. Um, and you know, we were every now and then giving the air quote choice, um, Mm -hmm. to not go to church. Uh, but, um, the, the guilt trips usually happened at some point and and we ended up going anyway, weird how that happened. Um, but I think Colleen and I both had a time period in our young adult lives where we didn't go to church. I mean, I, I thought I would be really involved in like campus ministry when I was at Florida state and I just wasn't, I wasn't really into it. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I looked around for churches uh, you know, when I was in college and never found something. And then I was just, you know, in athletic training and weekends were not really a thing for me anyway. Uh, and also, I mean, when, when you left your congregation in Evanston, um, when I was 16, 17, you know, I thought I would be able to continue to worship there and be a part of that community. Um, you know, because I saw it so much as like, just as much mine, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as it was, you know, your congregation, but well, you've been there since you were in kindergarten. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think both a combination of no longer being the pastor's kid, mm-hmm. um, but also kind of the, 
hurt that was being felt by, by you leaving, you know, some people Uh thinking like just thought you were going to be there forever. And then other people, you know, were just sad that you had left. And some people were expressing that sadness with anger, you know, kind of, there was, you know, all the different Uh ways, you know, humans in general, you know, present emotions, but that got put on me in a lot of ways where I, that I wasn't expecting. And so I didn't feel Mm -hmm. welcome at my home congregation anymore. And that really was my first major glimpse into kind of the human weaknesses of the church institution. Right. Right. So I didn't feel called to find a new church home because for one thing, I was used to being able to go into the pastor's office whenever I wanted to and take a nap on the couch, you know, and then all of a sudden you're facing this identity crisis of, well, who, who am I in this community? Um, if not the pastor's kid, you know? And so I think other pastor's kids out there might be able to relate, but, you know, and then there's the, you know, Colleen and I would always say like, well, you know, we're just, we're not as amp, we're, we don't like pastors as much as, as we, you know, like uh-huh. you and dad. And, and so, and again, I think that just goes into kind of a familiarity kind of thing, but when I did kind of, you know, come back to the church, I guess, and, and, and decide to create um, community at a church as just myself was when I got back from South Africa and I got really involved in a large Lutheran congregation in Atlanta that is big enough that it has like four or five services a weekend. Uh-huh. And one of those services was a contemporary, what I like to call jam out for Jesus service, you know, no robes, no, you know, uh, you know, just kind of like a, a pastor in, in jeans, a rock band t-shirt and, you know, a Britney Mike kind of up there. And when I started going, that was the service I was encouraged to go to like, Oh, because you were a young person. I was a young person. Oh, we've got this great contemporary service. What was it called again? House of the rock house of the rock. Yeah. In Atlanta. And I mean, the pastor who was leading it up, Matt, great guy. It was a great Mm -hmm. idea. And for some people, it was also kind of tied into some campus ministry in Atlanta. So Mm -hmm. it kind of tried to, to kill quite a few birds with one service, but it just wasn't really my thing. Um, And I wanted to be in the traditional liturgy services with the ELW hymns and, um, you know, the robes and the candles and and in the main sanctuary Mm -hmm. space. And what was really funny was that church did have a big young adult presence. I was really the only one that was single, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is something we can touch on as well is, you know, the church, the church gets people back a lot of times when they become parents, because even if they resented growing up in the church, it still made a big enough impression where they feel like, but I need to bring my kids up. Like, I don't really Uh need the church anymore, but my kids do. And so a lot of people come back to church when they become parents. Uh-huh. And so when you look at ministries that are available for people in like the millennial Gen Z age group, most of the stuff you're going to find is for families. Not right, that's another issue. Yeah, not necessarily. Um, I, I started, a, I started some programming at my internship congregation that I called middle adult ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of young adult, cause like I'm 35, I don't consider myself a young adult anymore, but I'm also still technically unmarried and mm-hmm. without children. 
so I don't, I'm one of those people that I don't fit in the programmatic categories, you know, that churches look at. So, and so, um, but all the other kind of young adults at this church, we all preferred the traditional service. So this like contemporary service that was supposed to like bring in young people wasn't. And, and who do they bring in baby boomers that wanted to wear shorts and Hawaiian shirts to church? And- some, yeah. And then some like college age kids who, who did mm-hmm. want a more relaxed mm-hmm. worshiping atmosphere and, and some high school kids as well that kind of took turns, you know, performing in the, in the praise band or the, the, the worship band or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say, and it was unfortunate because it was a, a great ministry in its own right, but that was the worship service that got canceled because of, because of attendance. I mean, within like a year of me being at that church, Mm -hmm. house of the rock went away. Um, because people weren't going. So so that's, you know, I, I'm not convinced that that's it then. Right. So that, um, that, yeah, that's what young adults are attracted to and that's Mm -hmm. what they're going to come to. It's interesting. I, um, you know, because I think one of the things that that sort of freaks people my age out about is that they see either non-denominational churches or other congregations that are in that category of mega church, which is, you know, I think the definition is still 2000 people worshiping on a weekend. Mm. Constitute. I don't know why they use it by size, but if you're going to use yeah. a word like mega, I guess that's what you do. Yeah. And so, you know, so many pastors have been asked by their parishioners, um, so what are they doing right that we're doing wrong? And yeah. you can see why that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we really have to drill down more into that. And one is that And also take away the binary of right and wrong. Right. Right. I mean, you know, you're not necessarily doing something wrong if you don't have that certain population in your church. It could be, Mm -hmm. what are they doing differently from us? Or what are, what are ways we can engage better, Mm -hmm. um, you know, instead of, instead of right and wrong, you know, necessarily, because those places might be packed and their theology is terrible and dangerous. Some of it is, so and they ain't yeah. doing that right. <laughs> What's interesting is that every denom- pretty much every denomination um, in America, at least, has megachurches. The mm-hmm. ELCA, our denomination, has. I went and looked it up today. There are eight congregations that are considered megachurches, and mm-hmm. they're. I, I don't know if it was their attendance or their membership. I think it's their attendance on the weekend. Anywhere, most of them are around 2,000, mm-hmm. uh, but the biggest one listed 10,000. Oh, weekend? Well, either it's members or it's, they said in their, on their website, we have, you know, tens of thousands of people who worship with us. So I went on their website to see what up. Yeah. <laughs> and does that a couple include of, on the online worship? <laughs> yes, I think it does. And, and, um, you know, what I found interesting about it in, cause I went to various parts of their website and mm-hmm. my biggest takeaway was their website looks like just about every good 
ELCA congregations website that I've seen. No different. It's no different. They are pretty liturgical. You can, you know, they've got all the Holy Week services and all this kind of stuff listed out. There's one section where you can, you know, they put all the lectionary readings for each day for that week. Mm. Um, but they, uh, they're, it's uh, Lutheran Church of Hope in West Des Moines, Iowa. And then they have seven satellite churches or locations in addition um, which wow. is something that your average congregation just isn't willing to do. No. To even consider that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the senior pastor is Mike Householder, and he's been there since 1994, and he was their first pastor. So he's, you know, the danger of that is, is this kind of a cult of personality. Right. And when he leaves, will the place hold together? Right. You sure hope so. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I hope so for them. But anyway, you know, they have traditional services and they have contemporary ones. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they have one service on a Saturday and then they have four or five on um, on Sunday with their last one being at 5 p.m. on Sunday. No, so that's busy stuff. Right. Yeah. And there's and I think it's all live streamed from that Des Moines location. That's what it says. So all these other people come in these satellite locations, but it's all it's all coming from but they're watching a live stream. Is that what it sounds like? Yes. Mm-hmm. But where they come together are in their study groups in their location. But anyway, I thought that was, um, that was very interesting to see. And some of the stuff that I read said, you know, part of it is that, um, you know, when folks are driving by a location and they see that every Sunday morning, there's a huge line of cars Mm -hmm. um, going into this one place. Yeah. Folks are curious. Oh yeah. What's going on there? And so once you get big, you tend to stay big just because people are in and out. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, some people challenge the idea that, you know, if you are a mega church and you are 20 years old and for the last 20 years, you've been saying you worship 2000 people a weekend, you're not growing. No, you're cycling. Right. You're, you're, you're cycling. So, yeah. yeah. um, But so what are the, you know, some of the solutions, um, what I've been trying to say, and this is what I'd like for us to talk about is um, I think that while worship and music and having programs like, oh, the Easter egg hunt is this weekend, you know, type of Mm -hmm. thing, that's fine. But you know what? People can Easter egg hunt at the mall and all of the, in the local park. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to, I don't want to do too much, but that reminds me. So a big thing that I feel like not necessarily is getting overlooked, but that a lot of churches have to grasp and it's a bit of a of an ego buster is for a very long time church was the only social um Mm -hmm. arena outside of work and school and so you know that was a big reason why everyone went to church on sunday because you could chat with so and so from across town where where you'd only saw them on sundays The church was where you had your picnics. The church was where, 
you know, you met your future spouse because it was mm-hmm. like you were in one family and, you know, right. your, your they had this, they had the softball league, had the softball they had league. the bowling league. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas we have now created a society where those pockets of community can be made in so many other places. Exactly. And so without kind of that, cause like for me, you know, Um, obviously my faith and my desire to share, you know, the work and love of Jesus is a big reason why I became a pastor. But one of the other reasons that people don't find as interesting is I felt like being a pastor provided um, a good fit with my natural skill set and also allowed me to explore different issues I'm interested in and impact my community Mm -hmm. in different ways. That doesn't necessarily have that much to do with being a faith leader, but it does have a lot to do with me and how I pastor. Mm -hmm. And I think some people, you know, now the church is really facing an, an identity crisis of we want to be a social place for people, but there are more fun places for people to socialize than at their church. Mm-hmm. So you really have to have that, that desire for that faith foundation to make church a priority. And, you know, so uh, I think sometimes the social aspect drew people into church. And then once they were there, they were like, oh, I kind of like this faith thing. Now mm-hmm. the faith aspect needs to be there for people to be drawn into church. And then hopefully they can say, I can have fun socializing here. Mm-hmm. And so as a, I think church has not caught up with that swap of mentality, you know, cause I mean, I remember laughing pretty hard. One of my, one of my best friends from growing up, um, uh, or neither of her parents, you know, had any kind of like religious background or, or faith, um, faith history that they really relied on. So it's just, you know, they never went to church. They never, they didn't have a temple they belonged to like nothing. Like they were just kind of like, I don't know if they would describe themselves as agnostic or atheist, but that's, you know, pretty much Mm -hmm. non-practicing, uh, any kind of faith. And I remember, um, when Emma was, uh, I think in Phoenix, she's a doctor, but so she was in Phoenix for her um, internship or residency or something med school. So complicated. I can't keep Mm -hmm. it straight, but I think it was a residency. Yeah. So she was describing to me this community group that she had found that she really loved going to because it wasn't like church. She said, right. She's like, it was like, it's not church, you know, cause there's no, it's not a faith-based thing, but it's basically a bunch of like-minded people getting together. Sometimes we re- all read the same book and we talk mm-hmm. about kind of different things in the book. We do community projects together and it's just a cool opportunity to like get together once a week and just be in community and like kind of with like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And I started laughing so hard and she was like, what? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I- honestly, I'm so glad you found that. That's amazing. But you are describing what church is. <laughs> right. Well, except that it's, it's, uh, it's church without Jesus and it's right. church without sacraments. And right. But it's so, still you know, like, you know, if you like, yes, you know, Jesus and sacraments are very, very important for the Christian church. But if, you know, we're talking, sometimes we all read the same book. Yeah, I know. You know we're doing that. You know, we're getting together. We're doing stuff for our community. You know, we're, we're well. Yeah. Things. So they have they have programs and service um, opportunities. Right. Without. Yeah. Without, without everything faith, else. Without, without a faith right. line. And yeah. so you know, it's one of those things where community, um, like-minded folks, a chance to a chance to be involved, 
is stuff people are still looking for. That, um, that is very true. Um, you know, and some people find it with their gym community. Some people mm-hmm. find it within a group of other parents from their kid's school. Some people find it at church. Some people mm-hmm. find it with their work, you know? And so in, you know, I, I sometimes I feel like the church is almost trying too hard to keep <laughs> up with some of these like other opportunities instead of, so instead of saying, um, you know, how can we be just, just as, you know, packed on certain days as the other mm-hmm. places, what we should be asking is what is it, what is it that we as the church provide? Right. And how does that fit? Wh- how does that fill a missing puzzle piece in, in people's mm-hmm. lives? And, and so instead of trying to, you know, be a square peg in a round hole, we have to be the peg we are, but figure mm-hmm. out where we fit and what we're really capable of doing. Right. Well, the d- two things that I think that the church offers that the gym doesn't or what have you, and, and the reason I think it's important is church may be the last place right now where all the generations can gather at the same time. Yeah. For the same activity. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you might not have grandparents anymore, but these 80 something and 90 something year olds can be great mentors and bake you chocolate chip cookies or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. The other is so there's that. And then there's um, what has really convinced me is how you can help people build deep relationships also around liturgy. Yeah. And so I I want to say a little bit about that, but I just want to give quick um, intergenerational examples. Um, We uh, um, I think I've mentioned that I have about 15 kids in confirmation class are pretty much all boys. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they each chose a confirmation mentor and um, it was really of their own choosing. And surprisingly, they all had somebody that they had been watching. Yeah. Unbeknownst to that person. Right. <laughs> that, you know, this little eighth grader thought they were cool. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so they selected these folks and we, you know, had a Sunday where we called them all up in pairs and, um, uh, and did a, a blessing of the mentors and, and that Absolutely. whole relationship. And, yeah. um, they did PowerPoints. They interviewed and then did PowerPoints on their mentors. Oh, cool. And, oh, yeah. And one was just so sweet because the mentor is about five feet, three inches. Mm-hmm. And his 11th grade <laughs> mentee <laughs> is about six feet. And so they were just joking with each other. But, they, you know, I see them. Uh, I see these folks talking to each other, like yeah. when they're at church. And I asked the I asked the group one time. I said, "Well, do you feel like your relationship is different at church now with these people that you've chosen to be your mentors?" And they all went, "Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, definitely." And then um, we're also trying to 
do uh, video interviews with our oldest members, partly to have it in our archives. So a couple of maybe three weeks ago now, um, I had the whole confirmation group go over to Miss Helen's house. And (laughs) Miss Helen is going to be 101 next in May. Oh, wow. And she presents like a 75 year old. She has a she has a (laughs) son who's 75. But I mean, just in terms of how she walks around, she seems like such a contemporary woman. Mind mind sharp as a tack. Wow. And those kids just gathered around her out on her carport. (laughs) And they all had such great questions for her. Wow. And she gave such great answers. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just inspiring to see. And, you know, I've talked to some of them later. I said, wasn't that a great conversation we had in this, Helen? And and they're like, yeah, that was really great. It was so much better than I thought it was going to be. Right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, those are the type of sort of um, kind of building relationships and, and being mentors for each other that I think mm-hmm. is, you know, all of us want to be known, to have people who are interested in us. Mm-hmm. And also, I think for a lot of people to know that there is, uh, you know, a God greater than us who cares deeply about us, who's a God of second and hundred and second chances. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and I think that's what we help people get in touch with, because uh, there are things that happen in life that um, nobody else can help you with, right. um, you know, they're just... You know, you can build yourself up to be a really strong person, but there will be there will be things that will happen that you won't have the strength for. So you need right. a community that can be strong for you. Yeah. So that kind of uh, building relationships and, um, you know, getting in touch with people mm-hmm. who are young people in the congregation and uh, not being afraid to do that, not being afraid to say to somebody, hey, I haven't really met you yet. You know, can we get together for for coffee so I can get to know you better? Mm-hmm. People always say yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think and I remember for for me, you know, when I when I started going to that church in Atlanta, the right. reason I mean, granted, there weren't a ton of Lutheran options, but the biggest reason I went back is because the second week I was there, at least two people remembered me and my name and were like mm-hmm. excited to see me. And right. I think, you know, I think for, for younger folks, like young adults and middle adults, um, kind of, I always say like kind of pre-family post-college, if, mm-hmm. if people decide to have, have a family in the traditional sense, but, um, you know, being, being noticed is something I think that's so important. And, you know, like you were just saying, everybody wants to be noticed. Everybody wants, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to kind of be missed. I think when they're not there, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm far more dedicated to the gym knowing that, you know, there's going to be at least three people that are like, where the heck is she today? You know, like what's going Mm -hmm. you know, where did she go? And I think a lot of times, despite the fact that, I mean, when there's a young, a new young person at church, a new, you know, 20, 30, early 40 something at church, Mm -hmm. I mean, you would just like, you know, most Lutheran churches, especially in the Southeast where there are not a lot of Lutherans, 
Um, I mean, they practically throw these people ticker parades because, you know, <laughs> they're there and they, you know, people see that as hope for, for their congregation, but then there's no programming for these people. There is, you know, mm-hmm. very few leadership opportunities because God forbid we trust someone below the age of 50 with a leadership role, any, any committee or, or anything that does happen meets at 10 AM on Tuesdays. I know, uh, you know, it's like, so, you know, it, 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 it cracks me up, but also makes me really sad when I hear people say, why don't young people come to church or why, why aren't there any families in this service? And they're the same people that when a young mom brings her kids into the, into the sanctuary for service and the kids are either a little chatty or playing with their toys too loud. The, f- the person who complains about there not being families in church is the first person to scowl at them or mm-hmm. to anonymously leave a parenting article, you know, in, in their mailbox or something. And it's just like, we kind of have to decide in a lot of ways how serious we are about wanting to continue these traditions mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of folks are going to go somewhere where they will have contemporaries and peers. Um, I mean, I've always just, you know, by way of being kind of in church my whole life. And and also like you were kind of alluding to earlier, like I lost all four of my grandparents or three at least Mm -hmm. before I was 20. And then, um, you know, Gaffer passed when I was like 22. And so I've always kind of globbed on to the older folks mm-hmm. at church because it's a and even when I was a kid and had all four of my grandparents they lived in the Carolinas we were in Chicago so I had a lot of folks to kind of fill that gap so I love being around older people but for mm-hmm. a lot of folks they don't cross-generational conversation and relationship is a, is a hard thing so if they want it to is. church and they're the only one under the age of you know 55 they're probably not going to come back to that church they're going to go to you know, the big mm-hmm. non-denominational mega church down the road that has 50 people between the age of 26 and that look, that look like them that look like them. And, mm-hmm. and I think too, there, there are some political aspects to, you know, the attractiveness, attractiveness of a, of a church. Um, a lot of folks, uh, you know, at least in the, in the historical sense, are looking for churches that are a little more progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that word has a lot of different definitions, but I know that a lot of folks have come to Trinity because they heard that there was a woman pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of people want to see churches that are involved in their communities um, because that kind of is a show of like being, you know, having care for the marginalized and wanting to make a difference. And, you know, I think most people don't quit God, they quit church. And so whether right. a member of the LGBTQ community that, you know, grew up hearing that they were a sin and they just, they, they still want to have a relationship with God, but they just can't make themselves go back into a church um, or, you know, people that were abused in the church and, and they had to walk mm-hmm. away, but their abuser is still you know, still there, still there and still praised. I mean, and then, you know, some people too, (laughs) you know, there was a, um, there was a meme on, on Facebook that is funny, but also very sad. And it basically said millennials have now lived through, um, one, one war, one massive terrorism event, 
two falls of the economy, um, mm-hmm. a pandemic, and now potentially a, another war. And so it's like, you know, of course, we're, we're a messed up generation. Like, look at all we've lived through. We've mm-hmm. lived through like five once in a generation events. And so, you know, I was talking to some friends of mine that I, that I work with in, in the homeless advocacy world. And, and they were basically like, it's really hard for me to, to re- reignite a faith when everything is just so crappy. You know, there's that kind mm-hmm. of like, why worship a God that lets these kind of things happen? All right. It's like, it's like the Babylonian exile, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. where, you know, yeah. where, you know, that, uh, you know, does God not like us anymore? Right. But, you know, <laughs> in some ways, every generation can say that. Oh, yeah. Uh, open it all, which is why I think that one way to, one way that I've used to attract young adults, both singles and couples and those with children is through doing some liturgy stuff that, you know, they've never seen before, right? Mm -hmm. And that nobody else is doing. I'm not trying to do something new and creative with the Easter bunny, right? They can, they can do that anywhere, but I've just had um, really good luck with my congregations and um, those that have preschools or daycares, including those folks too, uh, in doing things like a St. Nicholas festival, right? Everybody mm-hmm. else has got Santa Claus. We've got St. Nicholas. There's mm-hmm. some cool things that you can do around that. Um, and I've written up some of that in the past and it's been published in the Living Lutheran. But, um, you know, I did a, um, a Santa Lucia festival, <laughs> you know, in just a small way during the children's sermon and in preschool chapel. Uh, as well as Candlemas, you know, inviting yeah. everybody to bring a candle on February 2nd mm-hmm. or the Sunday closest to it. And, uh, you know, I'm always so surprised how, um, how impactful that is to the kids. Mm-hmm. And then when things are impactful to the kids, the parents get pretty excited and then the parents get excited about, wow, I never knew that. I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, the church I'm in now has traditionally had um, an Easter egg hunt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's some guy in town, I don't know who it is, but he apparently has this incredibly huge Easter bunny costume that he puts himself in Ooh. and that appears at the end. <laughs> But this year, we're incorporating some Mary Anderson things into that event, which is we're going to make it, we're going to make that time on the Saturday before Easter, um, children's activities of Easter. Mm. And so they'll still do the hunt, they'll still do the egg hunt, but there's going to be a little lesson about Easter and Holy Week in the chapel and the sanctuary. And then actually, my station is... I'm helping the kids uh, to make the communion bread for Easter day. Nice. So when I proposed that, I thought that the leaders would go, oh, well, no, I don't think they go, we love that idea. Let's do that. So now I'm doing it, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and that'll be great. And I don't know that this congregation has ever had, anything but the wafers for communion, but now they're going to get a little crumbly, chunky bread that, you know, little three-year-old hands have made. But that's like a love, great, They'll like, love it. 
that's a great loophole for getting around people who are kind of sticks in the mud of, well, we've mm-hmm. always had wafers. That's all we're going to do. Mm-hmm. If you were to say the kids of this congregation made mm-hmm. bread, they're going to get it and they're going to love it. Will they want it the next, the Sunday after who knows? And we I, won't probably have it. I think- and the, and the kids and the kids will see the bread that they made being used, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I, and I think too, the, the, the danger, you know, quote danger of trying new ministries that might engage middle adults or like, you know, single or married couples without children is that you kind of have to go out on a big, on a bigger limb to, mm-hmm. to try and find stuff that, that interests them. Because when you're, when you're catering to folks who have kind of been in church their whole life, they're going to want to do the stuff that made them feel good as a kid, or mm-hmm. they're going to want to do stuff that, you know, is familiar, um, which is why it's always good to kind of constantly be changing or constantly be trying new things so that people growing mm-hmm. up in the church realize that church can change, you know, or church can be interesting and different. But then when people, you know, people who step away from the church for a large chunk of their adulthood and come back with their kids, they're going to want things to happen the way that it did when they were kids, because that's what they loved. And that's what they want mm-hmm. their kids to experience. So you, instead of thinking it as this like terrifying challenge um, to try to engage young, young and middle adults, it's really an opportunity to experiment with introducing some of these things to liturgies or, you know, introducing these programs or giving new people leadership roles. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I'm constantly up against a wall of no when it's Mm. bringing in new stuff. But then once, once you finally do kind of sneak it in somehow, it's mm-hmm. amazing how many people are like, oh, my God, I loved that. We've never done that before. That's right. And so when you when you first introduced it, part of the problem was they didn't know what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. They couldn't imagine it. Yeah. And the and the other thing is, you know, we just had this conversation in, in our church council not so long ago where somebody was saying, how can we get younger kids into our Sunday school? Nobody's coming. And finally, one of the one of the 38-year-old dads on council said, I just got to be honest. My wife and I sit there. Our kids are dressed for church, for Sunday school. We are too. And we just kind of look at each other and go, no, mm-hmm. want to go. And the reason is not that they're trying to keep their kids out of Sunday school, but there's nothing for the parents during that hour. Yeah. Or, I mean, there is technically like on the books, a class, but it's often two people yeah. staring and talking to each other and nobody's really leading it. And mm-hmm. they don't really, it's not worth their time. And they, but they yeah. want to have meaningful conversations. Um, you know, so one of the things that we're doing is we're going to have a spring fling um, in early April for 20, 30, and 40 somethings. Mm. And it's at some, not at church, it's at somebody's. I said, all we need is a date and a party house and food. Yeah. So, you know, we've got all that. We've sent invitations out to everybody in our church that falls within those ages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, um, that's a good thing. One of the things that I'd like to hear you talk about a little bit is, um, you know, one of the one of the things that's getting a lot of buzz out there these days, especially um, post COVID, is 
you know, we have to be ready for the fact that we might have more people worshiping online than we do mm -hmm. in person. Mm -hmm. What does all that mean? Um, you know, should we should we renovate our sanctuary if it's not going to be here much longer or people are going to stop coming to church? The whole sort of when we're talking about attracting, um, you know, younger adults, middle adults and their families, what role does facilities and facilities management, um, how does that play into everything? Well, I mean, I'm on a, I'm on a really big, if you build it, they will come kick right mm -hmm. now. And, and I think part of it is, you know, my current congregation has this massive building. Um, it is massive. About two thirds of it is, un, is underutilized or not utilized. And the, the parts we are using are just so incredibly outdated. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when I go around and I look at some of the um, kind of more booming uh, mm -hmm. churches around town, uh, they have, I mean, there's one non-denominational church uh, down uh, in another part of town that I've driven past before. And it practically looks like a sandals resort. I mean, they have like a big turf field with these like cabanas, like lining them. They've got uh -huh. all these different buildings. It's, it's more modern architecture, more modern, you know, decoration. If something looks like a Joanna Gaines house, people are going to want to be in it. Right. It's attractive. So it's attractive. Uh -huh. And I think that's something that a lot of mainline places are not, are not willing to kind of put their money into because either you know, budgets are just so tight, you know, what would it look like if we, you know, let the congregation know we had a tight budget, but then we spend X amount of money on a room renovation, wouldn't that make us look like liars, you know, and it's uh -huh. like, you know, I think there is a lot to be said about facilities and how you use them that makes you more attractive. I mean, we, we have one of the most prime geographic locations in town but we have almost no exterior signage. The lights in the parking lot don't work. It's a pitch uh -huh. parking lot. I don't like being here at night because I'm walking to my car in the pitch black. Wow. Um, the sign that we do have does not, for one thing, it only shows that we have two services when we have three and they're the wrong times. So oh, come on. anybody driving by that says, Oh, Trinity Lutheran, they've got services at eight 30 and 11 they're going to miss those services because that's not when services actually are. And so can you just, without calling anybody out, can you just say like, why the heck is that true? Because no, I think it's not a priority. They're not thinking about well, the insiders. know. it's coming. Well, the insiders know. Yes, definitely. And I think, um, I think also there's a little there, people are a little gun shy to pull an expensive trigger. And so uh -huh. there, there has been more conversation in like our endowment committee and our long range planning committee and our building committee about, we have got to get some external signage, but I mean, there, there's been a member of our congregation who for 10 years has been researching and letting people know all the different ways that we can redo that sign outside and nobody has taken any of his ideas before. Wow. And so it's one of those things where I don't, I can't quite get a grip so far about where the buck stops, but 
people are having these really great ideas, but then they like somehow don't happen. And so a lot of it is just like decision fear, you know, like, well, who makes the decision for us to finally just order this new sign? And does that mean we also have church to learn- council? Yeah. It's like, does that also, <laughs> does that also mean we have to learn a new um, computer system to update said sign? Do we, oh, want one, do we want one that has a scrolling message? Do we want one that's just different screens? Do we want to just redo the stagnant one that we have? You know, it's like, it's almost like decision fatigue. And then by the time it's time to actually make a decision about the final thing, mm-hmm. who wants to do it. And, and I, I don't necessarily know how um, common that is across the board in terms of churches, but it is very much part of the culture here. Um, mm. My current call of just all these great ideas but then unless someone either just does it themselves and kind of asks for mm-hmm. forgiveness and not permission or after a year long decision-making process and three task force, it finally does happen. <laughs> everything just kind of stays still. Wow. Um, That's a lot of mud to slog through a lot of mud to slog through. And so, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, we had a, um, two longtime members die. It was a married couple. They died within six months of each other. And part of the money that they left uh, to go to the church, they kind of let their daughters work with us to decide where that money would go to. They just said, this is how much we want to go to the church. And, you know, whenever, whatever position the church is in at the time that, you know, they can kind of decide how it gets used. So we All used right. them to buy new pyramids, um, uh, which, which was a big, which would have been a big deal for them. And then the daughters were also on board with us using some of it to renovate our youth room. And I mean, this youth room is primarily used for like, whenever we have VBS, if we have family game night, um, I've used it for, uh, Bible studies, our women's book group work meets there. Um, and so it's more than just a youth room, but it is known as our youth room. And when I actually went up and looked at it, it has, for one thing, whoever the last person to do this painted a lot of it brown. Oh my gosh. So like every, every young person's favorite color. Exactly. It's a green linoleum floor. That's probably the original flooring from when they, they originally originally added that room to be the room for the scout troop that was really involved here, like 2030. All right. Well, that would make sense color wise. Right. Um, It has a little mini kitchenette with like a sink, a fridge, a microwave. Nice. uh, That was clearly redone at some point. Um, so the kitchen is fine, but I mean, there are, um, plates missing on the electrical sockets. The electrical sockets are exposed. Um, there is a carpet in the middle of the floor that, I mean, I've seen carpets in better shape at some of the homeless camps I visit. Um, (laughs) and and the ceiling tiles are all sagging because we don't, put pump AC into that room year round. So, um, they, uh, they absorb the humidity and now they're sagging. Um, but so- you know what, <laughs> you know what, in terms of a church, the problem is the insiders stop seeing that stuff after exactly. a while. Yeah, they it feels all it. homey to them, you know, yeah. 
what you know what flaking plaster yeah you know like, they, oh well that's the couch my my parents donated here when they got their new sectional what's wrong with it it still works and it's like mm-hmm. i don't know it's got a wooden frame that's falling apart and the upholstery is from 1957 mm. you know it's just one of those things where it's like like and so i was also pushing for there's a there's a a smaller space within that room that at one point was the youth pastor's office. I mean, it's, it's a glorified closet, but it does Uh have a window. It has a window that looks out into the rest of the room and a door. And it's basically being used for storage right now, which I think is a waste of space. I know we Um, love to store. We love to store things, just throw stuff away. You do not need to keep every vacation (laughs) Bible school, um, set that you put together just throw it away i know you worked hard on it but just throw Throw it away good god um and so i basically suggested that we clean that space out and make it kind of a quiet space uh where we can put a bookshelf with some books in there um like a couple of beanbag chairs where if, you know, there's a kid in VBS that's just getting way too overstimulated and they need a minute, they can go in there. Um, we could put a chair in there for, um, uh, a mother that's still nursing where she kind of has a more private place to go. That's not her car. And whenever mm-hmm. I was giving these examples, I would just hear stuff like, well, we don't have any young mothers here right now. Or, um, doesn't that sound like kind of a liability thing to have a kid in a room by themselves? I'm like, for one thing, there's a huge window, like the size of the wall that you're looking into this room. It's not like the kids would be, in, you know, so there's, there's just constantly these like, well, that won't work because of this, or, or what about this issue? Or let's just not do it because of this. Well, yeah. Instead, I, you of, know. instead of being willing to try and then it not work. And then sure enough, we now have a mother with a three-month-old baby who does need a space to nurse and change her. And luckily, we actually did have a a smaller room that used to be our parish nurse's office. And our council president, God lover, Uh found this like old rickety changing table in one of our bathrooms, took it home, replaced, tightened up all the screws, repainted it, bought a new pad for it. It looks like something you would get from Crate and Barrel now. Oh, bless her heart. She stuck it in that room. Her husband made these like gorgeous live edge side tables that he probably could have sold for 600 bucks if he really wanted to. I mean, they're gorgeously crafted, a nice little chair. And so Julie, the new mom and I were walking out of the 930 service the other day. And she said, well, I need to run to the car and feed Sophia. Mm -hmm. And I, and it was a cold morning. And I said, well, you know, we have a room for that. And I mean, her face lit up. She was like, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah, this room right here, it has a window, but there's a blind that pulls down. It's it's a door that can lock from the inside. I said, there's a changing table in here. There's a nice like, you know, little lamp you can turn on if you don't want the overhead lights. Here's a chair for you to sit and hang out with her. And she had been going to her car. Oh, man. In the in like in the cold weather to to feed her baby and change her. Can you imagine the cold air hitting that little baby butt? I know that's so sad. But, you know, part of part of what that part of what that said to her was we've been expecting you. Exactly. You know, your issues as a nursing mom with a newborn, whatever, are Mm -hmm. valued here. You're both welcome. Exactly. And, and, uh, you know, I. I understand what you're talking about when you say, you know, you're, you know, you're 
an advocate of if you build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. I have been less an advocate of that. I think we're probably on the same page. But what what I say is um, don't just have a facility plan. You've got to have a ministry plan first. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. What you know, because I also see churches um, putting on an addition or mm -hmm. whatever, and they haven't really thought through how is this going to be used? Who is it for? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think you've just got to do that first because then your ministry plan will inform what you say to the architect who's going to draw the plans for the building. Right. right. No, you I know, definitely. And, and and it's a perfect opportunity to say, we need this. We need to look forward to this, this, and this happening. Yeah, um, because we're going to our plan is to try to make it happen, not just hope that it will happen. Right. And that's been a topic of conversation with my co-pastor and I, because we have had a little bit of a round robin with some of our rooms here recently. And, you know, there's a lot of people kind of vying for different spaces and things like that. And so he and I have both said, we need to not just like shuffle the deck. We need to figure out, is it is it a ministry that needs a designated space, right? So like our quilters wanted a new space. Well, that's the kind of thing where once we give it to the quilters, it's not usable for any other group, right? You know, rightfully so, because we're not going to ask our quilting group to pack up all their fabric, fold up their half done quilts every single time they leave their room. So that like Sunday school can happen in there. Right. So mm -hmm. luckily we are a big enough space where we can have designated rooms. Like that is the quilting room, you know? Mm -hmm. And then we have other spaces that need to be a little bit more multi-use multi-function like our youth room. And so, you know, when I say like, if you build it, they will come. I think I'm definitely including a ministry plan in that as well. But also, mm -hmm. I think there is something to having places ready, like move in ready, right? So like just taking a look at your spaces, even ones you don't use that often and saying, if we were to last minute move a group in here, you know, whether it's like, you know, Sunday school just got a little bit too big. So we split off for a third group or um, I want to, I want to set aside some time to do premarital counseling with this couple. And I want to, you know, go mm -hmm. to a different space is there a space in your church where you can just move into it really quickly and someone won't think that they are like in your barely used attic, you know? So like for me right now in at Trinity, our basement desperately just needs at bare minimum, a fresh coat of paint. Like, yeah. It doesn't. I mean, a paint yeah. can feel like you've renovated the entire space. Exactly. I mean, there are rooms down there that like look like prison cells because the walls are all scratched up. You know, it looked like uh -huh. Denny Dufresne was trying to dig his way out, you know, in some, like some of these spots uh -huh. or there's, you know, um, uh, wallpaper on the walls from like 1982 and people who are now, you know, middle-aged, if not older retired folks remember when they were the young adult that redid that room. And it was the last oh, no. time that room got redid or redone. It's just, so, so it's both nostalgic and wrong. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, or even the people who did redo some of that stuff are like, God, we haven't done this, re re redone this room in since I did it uh -huh. you know, when I was 35 years old. And like, I'm 65 now with two grandkids. And it's, it's like just so it's so hard for people to see a familiar space, you mm -hmm. know, like their congregational building with fresh eyes. Like, yeah. if I was a new 
person coming in here, how would I, how would I see this? Yeah. And Um, there's cool ways to like recycle a lot of stuff. Like, you know, right before I got here, they did a huge, like half a million dollar renovation of their sanctuary space. Mm -hmm. And they saved a lot of the old pews um, that had been used, like were original to the building. And, um, one of our members, who's a a great woodworker, he made these little like tiered shelving things that are about two feet across. And each, each shelf is about six inches deep and they're three steps high with a little wooden cross on the back. He made these little things to be candle holders for all saints day. But right now we're using them for our little individual communion packs, but it was made out of the old pews. Oh, that's cool. So it's this new thing, new to the church, This mm-hmm. like, and it's didn't take that much time to build. He probably spent like $5 in nails and, you know, luckily he has this, he had the skill set to do it, but people who remember those pews are still looking at them, but they're being used in a brand new space that someone from, you know, you know, moving here from Kentucky mm-hmm. comes in and just sees a great new church, but then also sees that, you know, their history is appreciated when someone says, Hey, that, that thing, you just got your communion cup off of that's, those are our old pews from after we renovated, you know, I mean, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of stuff is really cool. I like recycling materials. Right. And and it is. And I bet people, people really appreciate that, but, you know, I think it's just um, uh, in order to kind of grow the church, but also be the church. Mm -hmm. Um. We have to we have to be creative, and um, I know some of us feel like we're not creative people. Mm-hmm. But okay, maybe you're not. But there are lots of other people who are, and you can totally steal their stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, if somebody if somebody podcasts a really good idea, <laughs> um, or you know, you read something in a magazine and you say, "I never would have thought of that," but that's really awesome. Yeah. And also they don't care. They don't care if you do it. No. And there's <laughs> they're glad kinds, that you do it. There's different kinds of creativity too. Like you you don't consider yourself yourself a creative person, but you are. I mean, you you come up with really brilliant and creative activities and worship services and um, you know, dynamic preaching. You know, are you gonna be the pastor that can take an old pew, saw it in half, and build a new like conference table out of it no No. but (laughs) you you are coming up with all these other activities which Mm -hmm. really go further in the long run and so I think it's also about kind of recognizing I mean the body of Christ right like if we exactly if we all were only creative in a recycling old pew way we would never do anything and I think um I think also when we show that we're willing to kind of um make new stuff with old materials that's that's kind of what the church does too we're always being made mm-hmm. new that's like what that's like a big ELCA well, saying but also it's combining old and current which is mm-hmm. also speaking to the intergenerational you know opportunities that happen at church and so i think i think the church needs to stop trying to be something it's not or trying to be something that it thinks people want, especially like middle adults and Uh and folks who are seeking community and just be really good at, at what you are, you know, I think think being genuine and being really good at 
at what you're supposed to be will bring people in. It will. You know, when you're really authentic and you seem to understand their lives and what's going on and Mm -hmm. care about it, Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, that's golden. I was, I went on the, the webpage of the ELCA's um, innovation team Uh and they had this one kind of tagline that sort of described the church as um, traditional yet radically relevant. And I like that. Yeah, that's the goal, right? Right. And that's what the church has always had to do. This is not just Mm -hmm. about 2022. This is just about all the time, but just now, you yeah. know, it's what and we clearly, have to do. Clearly we're, we're making it in some ways. I mean, mm-hmm. if we weren't bringing in younger folks, mm-hmm. we would have, we would have collapsed in and on ourselves or died out a long time ago. You know, I mean, right. Yes. Our, our memberships are shrinking and our, you know, worship, ex- worship numbers might be shrinking a little bit, but you know, we do have to kind of roll with the times. A lot more people are going to be worshiping online mm-hmm. you know, because they might be getting what they need out of a community in other places, but they're not going to get a faith component in that. Right. And so they get their faith component. You know, I've got, um, I did a wedding last week for one of my old softball girls. And so of course, you know, all the softball parents, you know, who remember me as the trainer were there as well. And, and one of them who uh, lives up or they live in Georgia, they're from Chicago, but, um, she said every Monday she turns on my, my sermons at work and just has them playing in the background. Wow. No, she's not part of our numbers. We don't count Mary Nowacki as one of our members. Mm -hmm. She's hearing us, you know, she's, Mm -hmm. she's listening to our, our worship services and she's listening to the preaching that's happening at our church. And so, you know, I think we're, you know, when the rubber hits the road, we are going to have to come up with different revenue streams, you know, I was going to say, yeah, financing, but at the same time, if, if relevant means, which it, which, which I think this is what it should mean in the church, you know, spreading both traditional and new ideas about Jesus and how Jesus interacted with the world and how we can interact with the world in a Jesus like way, then we will always be relevant. If relevant uh-huh. just means having the hippest sign and the most money coming in, we're going to have some more ups and downs. But, you know, I think, um, like I said, being genuine and being willing to change and being creative and giving people opportunities uh-huh. to, to, to shine a little bit um, is how the church will continue to, to bring in, um, you know, my generation and generations younger than me. Um, right. Because in a, a lot of ways, we don't get the opportunity to take on leadership roles until much later in our lives. So like, you know, we have a, we have a, a, a girl, a, a young girl here at church who is just like, I mean, she drags her parents here. Like she loves mm-hmm. coming to church and she's only one of like four kids in her age group, but she loves it here. Well, you know, with all this conversation about building use, um, someone very smartly recommended, why don't we get some of our like preteens, you know, involved in this group? Um, because they're the ones that are going to be using this space the most. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I went up to little Veda on Sunday and I said, um, I think she's probably like 12 
going on 13 or maybe mm-hmm. 11 going on 12. I don't know. But um, I said, Hey, um, I'll have to kind of check with your parents to make sure they can get you here, but we're forming a group um, of people to help make decisions about kind of how we use our space at church. And, you know, there's going to be a little like, you know, interior design aspect to it, pick and paint colors and all of that, you know, since, you know, you, you use this space just as much as anybody else, would you want to be on it? And, oh my God, you would have thought that I nominated her for president. I know she was so pumped to be asked to be a part of like what in her eyes is an adult thing, but also I think part of it is also, you know, being valued at a young age. We tend as a society to not Mm -hmm. value people at good, at at enough intervals of their life. And then she also said, that's so crazy because I really kind of want to be like an interior designer when I get older. Oh, neat. Or like do something in architecture with, I, I never would have found that out if I hadn't asked her that question. And so like, I just happened to hit, you know. Um, yeah, hit a good nerve. Hit a good nerve. And, and, you know, she's pumped about it. And so, you know, and I think, I mean, that was a big thing for me too, is as a, as a young kid going into preteen years, yes, I was the, the pastor's kid, but I felt valued at church. I felt like Mm -hmm. I had something to offer. I wasn't just, you know, another kid. Um, Uh and so that's a big part too. And I think is big for, um, people kind of informative adult years, you know, post-college pre really Uh settling into, um, you know, their jobs is we just want someone to say, you're a good leader you know, especially once you come out of college or even grad school where, you know, when you're a senior in college, you're a top dog, you're a trusted leader, you're, (laughs) you're experienced. And then you get shot back to the bottom of the barrel immediately. And church can be a space that gives everyone leadership opportunities and opportunities to use their gifts in ways. Maybe they're not using them at work. Um, you know, and that, and I, I won't go in too much longer about this, but like, don't ask people who are teachers to teach Sunday school, you know, unless, unless they, they volunteer, unless they volunteer, <laughs> like give people opportunities to stretch their leadership wings in other ways. And I think mm-hmm. if church really, really embraced that and put their trust in who we're calling the future of the church, then mm-hmm. more people would come more people would want to invest in something that is invested in them. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the phrases that I wish we would just stop saying is um, our children are our future. Like that's why they are important. Right. And like our children are our present. Yes. And so just like you were talking about, we have in our, our early service at eight 30 really only has about, you know, 17 people who come. Mm-hmm. And this one fourth grader is the only child who comes yeah. to it. Occasionally, a few others will, like if they have a softball game, you know, and church is going to interfere. So they right. come to the early. But she doesn't go to the other service ever. And um, she takes piano lessons from the woman who actually plays piano for us at that service. And so her teacher has been slowly helping her like some Shayla has a great um, sense of rhythm mm-hmm. and you can spring it on her at the last minute you can say why don't you play tambourine on this hymn 
yeah. that we're going to sing. And she gets it and she does it. And this past week, um, her teacher said she's going to play the gospel acclamation by herself with both hands today. Wow. And she said she's nervous about it, but she can do it. Yeah. And, you know, she did a good job. She she volunteers to read the first lesson. Yeah. Um, you know, and she'll go up and act like because nobody else is there. Yeah. And, and I mean, she's and like, she's like owning the place. The confidence she gets from that. Oh, will, yeah. Even if she takes a little break from church and in, in some point in mm -hmm. her life, she will eventually connect the dots and, mm -hmm. and, and kind of remember. And I think, you know, we don't necessarily have to be getting this instant gratification, um, you know, from, from our impact. I think, I mean, mm -hmm. for God's sake, our, our gospel lesson this past Sunday was give the damn tree one more year. Right. Um, you know, like give this fig tree one more year to produce fruit. And I think sometimes as the church, we want to see, you know, we want to see the offering numbers go up right away. Mm -hmm. We want to see 20 people show up for these events, mm -hmm. but it takes a lot longer for those Fer fertilizer takes fertilizer takes a while to kick fertilizer in right takes a while so. so here's my question what do you consider the manure to the church to be <laughs> this is the this is one of those times where where an um uh an audio only medium is difficult because my eyes got real wide and you asked that <laughs> what do i feel the manure is well, I think it's, I think the, the manure, the fertilizer for what we've been talking about today is really um, doing an investment of into relationships, into mm -hmm. facilities, mm -hmm. into, into creativity, just being all in yeah. and being invested. Yeah. And it, because you do reap the, the rewards this past mm -hmm. Sunday. I mean, I'm in a congregation that's a very kind of family church where everybody's been here for generations and generations. The same is true of the town. Uh, so there's not a lot of, oh, who's moving into that big new subdivision over there? We don't, we don't really have that right. so much. Yeah. Um, but so this past Sunday in both services, um, we had three households who were visiting. And they kind of came in one after the other, and they all had the same story, which was, hey, we just moved into town. <laughs> and what they had done was they had um, one had just moved here for a job, you know, like a year ago. But for people, that's like we just. Yeah. And um, and others had been building, you know, kind of their retirement home on the lake. Mm hmm. And I got to think that some of the investment that we've made in social media has made a difference. Oh, gosh. Yeah. You know, I put stuff on our town Facebook page, not mm -hmm. just on our Facebook page. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, that that word gets around. But yeah, I think I think for me, the fertilizer is. Oh, come on. We can say manure. <laughs> manure. Jesus. Is, uh, that's true. I think the manure is saying yes. I think being yes, people, um, you know, I, I hear a lot, uh, you know, when, you know, the, the folks who 
are always complaining that they've been taking on the same role at church for 30 years and they just wish someone else would take over. And then someone says, well, I'll do it. And they say, no, right. That's okay. That's okay. Never mind. Just like saying yes. And I think being, being open to kind of failing and changing, Uh you know, I think, I think that's really key. And then also like kind of, you know, another, another bag of poop here would be, um, investing in your community as much as you want them to invest in you. Mm-hmm. So Good if, point. if we're asking for people to be a part of our church community, to give portions of their income, which is like not an easy thing to do for people in my generation for multiple reasons, mm-hmm. um, you know, give of our time, give of our talents. Uh, then I want to see a church that also pays attention to what's going on in, in my community. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's right. why, I try my best to get to like my little kiddos baseball games and, you know, Uh I interact with other pastors in the community and take a role in social justice and go to faith leader luncheons with the mayor and, you know, all those Uh things because, you know, I can't, we can't, we shouldn't just be all in with like our little bubble of a community. Uh We need to be all into our greater communities and people will see that and want to be a part of it. Yeah. And be more than just, oh, we have a physical address in this town, but that we are part of the town. We are invested in Mm -hmm. the town. People want to see that, especially if they really do. They do. People in my generation don't trust institutions. And so the the biggest thing an institution can do is show up. Yeah. And see, for baby boomers in World War II generation, it was institutions were all you needed. Yeah. Yeah. My, they, did, my generation they did your everything. Then like, it, like it. Uh, right. So, so that's yeah. why we've got a in church life. Um, these generations need to share their different wisdom with each other and their different experiences. And because these to, generations are, are differently, differently wise. wise. <laughs> Take a drink, everybody. You're welcome. <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, thanks for the conversation. Right back um, at you, mom. Great as ever. Oh man, I tell you, I'm pretty uh, pretty excited about maybe you know working up some of this stuff and getting it out there for other folks to use. Yeah, samezies. Just gotta just gotta do that. Exactly. And so we're also excited about our next uh, podcast coming up. Um, we got a guest next, next Monday. We got a guest. You want to say a little bit about it? Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we are fully aware that while we do offer opinions from, um, different generations and, and different, uh, kind of contexts, we are two, uh, middle-class white women, um, who identify as straight and cisgendered. And so we only check a very few boxes. And so we, Um, want to bring voices in uh, from people who are experiencing the same denomination um, and, and kind of the, the same process, but from a very different lens. And so uh, we are going to be chatting with um, a former student of yours, right, mom? Right. And uh, uh, I mean, she's awesome. I yeah, think, you guys uh, made a you guys made a real connection the first yeah. time you met each other. Yeah, we made friends. So, so um, she's a senior in seminary. She's getting ready to graduate. Yes. African American woman. African American woman. Um, also, uh, interracial relationship. She's a mother. 
She, um, you she's know, former, her, former military, former military. Uh, she was not, uh, she's not a cradle Lutheran. She came into the Lutheran world while uh, she was in seminary, while she was in <laughs> seminary. Um, uh, yes, her name is Robin. And hey, and she was, um, when she first came into my class, she was a member and she felt like an active member at a, a big non-denominational church where she lived and so she ended up leaving that place it might be interesting to talk to her about that absolutely yeah just a so little bit we are so excited to have robin on um, we'll be chatting with her on monday and then uh, a couple of days later if i can get my act together in terms of editing we will release that conversation <laughs> um and so uh we are so grateful to to have her join us and and chat with us about her experience and tell us her story so um, if uh, you or someone you know might want to share their story with us and give us some different perspectives on these things we've been talking about, mm -hmm. uh, give us a holler uh, at youronmutepod at gmail.com or find one of us on Facebook. And we would love to have some more guests on. Um, not that I don't adore our one-on-one -on -one conversations. I know, um, mom, but, uh, but you know, it's always good to, to get in uh, some other perspectives. So it is, we don't, we don't want to be an echo chamber either. Exactly. Exactly. So excited to have Robin on, um, and to chat with her on Monday and, uh, and yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll get this episode out to you all and, uh, and then we'll, we'll be working on that next one. So. Yeah. Um, thanks for thanks for joining us, everybody. Yeah. Thank you all very much. Hope you have a, a great uh, a great uh, week of ministry or or life or all of the above. And we will catch you next time. Bye. See. See ya.